be your authentic self, but you don't have to bring it all to work. You can leave a little bit of it home. You know, if, if, if something's going on that's really not going to benefit the team, and if the team can't help you with it in a quick and dynamic way, leave it home. Enjoy the process of not having to have it over you. The day that worrying ever pays off, let me know. I tried it for years and I never find worrying to pay much dividend. What I do think works is to step back, study the situation, and then you have to regroup yourself. But I, I, I laugh because worrying does not pay dividends, yet so many people invest. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method I love incredibly successful people that still have the down-to-earth human touch it is very enjoyable to talk with them and understand why they are who they are today's guest is one of those people and yet so much more Janice Bryant Howroyd is the founder of the act one group and she is the very first african-american female to found a billion dollar company and yes, you heard me right. That's a billion dollar company. What is even more impressive about Janice is that speaking with her was like talking to an old friend. She's incredibly relatable and really a caring and authentic human being. During the interview, I noticed this and really wanted to get behind her story and what made her the amazing individual and entrepreneur that she is today. We chat about her upbringing as an African-American in an extremely racial environment with a family of 11 children. We chat about her life philosophy her habits and what she values. We chat about how she maintains personal relationships while running a billion dollar company, the challenges of being a female entrepreneur, how us humans like to operate in tribes, and some of her favorite books that she recommends, even though she has a 6,000 plus book library. At the end of the podcast, we asked Janice about her philosophy on influence in today's world and how she handles it responsibly. Another amazing episode for you listeners. You guys, without further ado, the very first African American female to found a billion dollar company, Janice Bryant Howroyd. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome back to the podcast. We're incredibly excited to have you guys joining us, especially for today's guest. Today's guest is um, a very special person, the very first 
female African-American entrepreneur to run a billion dollar company in the history of the world. And so when we heard that she was interested in coming on the show, both Noah and I got really excited to learn more about Janice, who's going to be uh, talking to you guys here very soon. But um, Janice is calling out Las Vegas, and we just want to know, Janice, how, how's Las Vegas today? Las Vegas is great every day. You must know that. <laughs> Have you ever been to Las Vegas, Chris? More than, more than once, yes. I know it's a great place. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's especially great today because we've got loads of people, hundreds of people coming in from our own company across the globe, and we're celebrating those top performers. Every year at Act One Group, we do a Founders Club event where the top performers who really meet those budgets, those stretched budgets they set for themselves, get to go away to some place with their significant other and be celebrated on stage and by events and it's just a wonderful time in our company I really like that it sounds like the company and we'll talk about this more but you guys are very much about empowering the people that work with you does that sound right Yes, and we find it particularly easy to empower people when we recruit and hire in the right way from the first. Mm -hmm. So we don't create these wonderful, powerful people. We hire them, and then we do develop them. We, we encourage them to be highly innovative, to make mistakes fast and learn quickly, and to make sure that we know the dynamics of delivery to our clients. And when you get those kinds of attitudes in place with really good platform of teaching, you have some great outcomes and that's what you see happening here well we definitely want to talk about that hiring process but first uh, we want to get to know you a little bit and listeners so you know um, our co-host Noah Lath is on the line too Noah how's it going in Barcelona today Barcelona is doing amazing and I'm very excited to uh, hear the story of uh, one of the most amazing businesswomen I think uh, in, in the United States and abroad I think you're Let's get Oh, you guys make me feel good, but let me congratulate you because both of you have your own levels of success that I very much respect. Oh, thank so you. So this very is much. a beautiful respect society, huh? Yes, exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so Janice, I was reading about your background a little bit and it, it sounds really interesting. Um, you you grew up in the South and you worked really hard and then moved out to the West Coast to build an amazing business for yourself. So I, I would just like to give you the mic for a couple of minutes and learn about how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. Well, let me tell you, Chris, and no, I didn't grow up believing one day I'd be the founder of a global enterprise that uh, provides workforce solutions, technologies, and talent to companies. However, I do think that the way I was raised in Tarboro, North Carolina, which is a very deep South community, uh, actually at one point it was a plantation during, uh, during slavery in our country, and growing up there gave me a lot of the best elements of a Southern upbringing, community, respect, faith, all of those things that were really important to anyone, I think, in my uh, generation. You know, my parents were highly responsible for who I am, though. Mom and dad raised the 11 of us, one mom, one dad, 11 kids. Uh, they raised the 11 of us 
with uh, an understanding that we had to respect each other and ourselves in life and that those were very elemental to how we would grow. So when I looked at the community that I was growing up in and I saw the disparity between ethnicity and gender, it uh, was a little bit of a question for me how to marry that to the faith-based community I was growing up in. And I have to say mom and dad really gave us excellent lessons before we ever left home. I've often told uh, people when I mentor or when I lecture that my mom and dad taught me more about business than I ever learned in school. And I think you probably can relate to that because you guys had some pretty uh, interesting uh, childhoods yourselves, didn't you? Well, yeah, Noah, Noah is actually um, a refugee. And grew, yes, yeah. yes. Yes, well, my parents are from uh, Iraq uh, originally. And the funny thing is that, uh, that you said that everything, you know, starts from where you put the seeds. And uh, the, what happens at home, you take it with you for the rest of your life. And when we were living in a refugee camp, uh, um, we, we never had that feeling that we were uh, in, a, in an unfortunate situation. Actually, the, the contrary, uh, it makes us realize that every experience is a, is a, is a learning experience. And uh, um, that makes you and, and, and mold you to the person that you are. And as you said, whatever experience you have, it, it, uh, it creates uh, a thicker skin, let's say. And, I, and I'm sure that with your background, and especially in that area in the United States, it was quite challenging uh, back then what I heard from the story and I read, I read to the stories that you had to encounter. You're right, Noah. And here's what I really want to make sure that your listeners understand. While I grew up in a very difficult uh, community with respect to race and economics, and even today, Eastern North Carolina is one of the poorest parts of the nation, I still grew up with a rich family culture. So economically, we may have been measured as poor, but in terms of spirit, aspiration, and our own personal passions and efforts, we were very enriched. Mom and dad always made sure we had lots of books in the house, that we were being aware of current events in a way that we could make our own decisions about them. And my siblings and I are a reflection of what they did because while many people know me because I founded a company that grew to beyond a billion, uh, what they did, and, and by the way, that story's still happening. We're still growing. So, you know, I don't want to treat it as though that's my legacy already. We're still building that. But the interesting thing is that all 11 kids were educated and all 11 kids are still very close friends as we continue to grow. And today there are eight of us still alive and we're some of the best friends to each other. So, you know, the dynamics of how to get along, how to respect each other, how to have individual strong personalities and desires, and then to work cooperatively, all of that was groomed in the home that I grew up in. So leading a company and a team of people becomes quite an enjoyable uh, a thing for me because it's an extension of how I grew up. And I'm not suggesting that uh, because it's simple, it's easy. Very often the simplest things are difficult. However, simplicity does offer you a good roadmap. And that's what growing up in my household did. It gave me a roadmap. It gave me the tools to be able to develop myself and later my company. Janice, there's something really 
cool that I thought your parents did that I hadn't heard of before was that they, since you had so many siblings, they picked uh, an older sibling to be the mentor or the leader of the younger sibling. And they had the responsibilities of making sure the younger sibling got to bed on time, combed their hair, wore nice clothes. Where do, first, where do you think that came from? And also, um, how do you think it helped mold you into the individual you are today? You know, uh, Chris, I never asked myself that question, where did that come from? Our parents were so dynamic in ways that I can't begin to explain, and it becomes evident to me more and more as I meet people, quite significantly successful people, who will say the same as you. Where did your parents get that, uh, uh, that idea about uh, mentoring the older to the younger? But what I will tell you, I don't know if they were unique in that respect uh, in our uh, community. I do think what was unique about them was that they set the example for us. I mean, mom and dad were highly cooperative in how they would educate each other in life. Mom was more academic and dad was more street savvy and they were able to combine that in a way that really helped us to appreciate that there are more than one form of intelligence. And so appreciating that allows you to be able to work in a team environment and really succeed. I can't remember a day that mom and dad didn't have one sibling responsible for another in a certain way. My sister Sandy uh, had been my mentor. And so when I came to California on vacation to visit her, it was just, you know, a pickup of where we had left off when she'd gone away to university years earlier. Uh, but here's something else that I think um, really was a dynamic about my parents. Uh, retrospectively, I recognized they were really quite smart to do this. They were able to recognize where each of us as kids had a particular skill or a particular um, prowess, and they would make it incumbent upon us to share that with the others. So while we, my sister Sandy was my mentor and I was the mentor to my sister uh, Linda, my parents made sure that because I was really good at English, because I was really good at history, that I had to then become the tutor to all the other siblings for that who came after me, as Sandy had done for math and science where she had a particular strength. That's incredible. Amazing. Really right. amazing. And so, and so also so, so practical. And actually, uh, back then, like if we look at ages of thousands of years, uh, that's how it used to work in tribes. You would always had an older, wiser person teach the rest of the tribe. And, 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 and a small family of, of 11 is actually a, a miniature example of, of a tribe and, and, and very, really impressive that uh, your parents uh, remembered, let's say, that, uh, that, that knowledge or that wisdom. Yeah, you which, know, which uh, many, many, many communities use oral teaching, don't they? They have oral histories. And so, you know, it, uh, uh, it, I, 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 that's why I say I don't know that it was necessarily a unique thing for them to do that. I think that they were able to do that with such passion and clarity for 11 kids in a small town, I think that was the thing that really impressed all of us. And I will tell you, I spoke to you earlier about 
us all being friends today. We are our own best friends very often. I will send my mom roses. My da Our dad has passed away, but I'll send my mom roses on any number of birthdays, whether it's my sisters or my brothers, not just mine or hers. And I'll say, thank you. You know, you gave birth to the best friends I've ever known. And so um, I think that that was a byproduct of it, that we really became close and we became friends in a way that, uh, that has been so strong and so supportive of me as I set out to start to build a business. I think that's really amazing because you see so many entrepreneurs go out there and achieve what they define as success and build these amazing businesses, but not necessarily have that great of family life or relationship um, ties. Well, you know my definition of success, Chris. Yeah. Success, yeah. success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. So I don't hear a lot of dollars attached to that. In my mind, Mother Teresa was successful. It's yeah. my understanding she died penniless. Gandhi was successful. He died happy, but not wealthy. Dr. Martin Luther King, who we honored uh, his birthday in January, and we're in the middle of Black History Month in the United States, um, Dr. Martin Luther King did not leave his family with wealth in the bank, but he left them with wealth in the community. And so, you know, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Oftentimes, it is, uh, it, it is celebrated by money, but it money is definitely not the measure of success. Absolutely. Because you can't, I mean, once you're gone, that money doesn't go with you, but what does go with you is those memories and the life that you lived. And, and that's something that I work really hard at is, is making sure that I stay close to my family, even though I'm living in different countries around the world and I'm very busy with my business and also maintaining very core, um, solid relationships with friends, uh, and close friends, or I call chosen family. And so Janice, maybe you could give some tips to the listeners on how, how, what would be a good way to maintain personal relationships, either family or chosen family, close friends, while being a, a hardworking entrepreneur going after your dreams? You know, I think it's really important, and this is true about everything. I think it was uh, Socrates, was it, who said, to thine own self be true, uh, in any event, I do believe, don't let me give credit where credit isn't due, but I do think that the statement is a wise one. You know, you've got to first start with the core of being honest about who you are and where you are. And life is iterative. Where you are today isn't necessarily where you are tomorrow, but who you are stays constant and you improve upon that. And so I think you've really got to do the work to understand who you are. And if you're an entrepreneur, uh, that means that you've got to know what you want from that business and what it means to you. Some people are very happy to um, build businesses because they want to sell those businesses. Others want to see them grow generationally. All of those are worthy ideals, but be honest about why you're in business. And I will tell you also, you've got to understand that you're not the only one who pays the price for your success. Your family is tremendous to your success. You guys know so many nights I said prayers with my kids by phone. 
early in the growth of my business, it would be because I was working late and they would come by the office and they'd have their little onesies on and sit at tables. I still have the tables that Brett and Kate worked at in my office uh, in Torrance to this day when they were very young. And they do homework or art. And when it was time to go home, if I wasn't going with them, those were phone calls and prayers uh, at night instead of hugs and kisses. And later it was being on the road. Uh, so while I value family, and I do believe they will tell you that I invested a lot of time with them, there were times that I just wasn't there. And I think it's important to uh, acknowledge that they gave as much to my business as I did. I've often been told how wonderful our children, who are adults now, are, and uh, our son works in the business and our daughter works with the business. Um, and I've been told how wonderful they are. And I say, you know, that's a gift of God. I really just happen to get great kids. And I think that's the truth for a lot of uh, entrepreneurs. You've got to recognize that your family and your significant others, your community, your friends are all investing in your business. The other thing I think is really important, so honor that. The other thing I think is real, another thing is really important to uh, make sure that you you know that it's important for you not just to know your business, but to know your industry and to know your clients' markets and their industries. How often have you heard of entrepreneurs who groomed their business in the early stages around a particular client for that client to come upon hard times or to make a change in direction? And your business has been so personally groomed to that client that you don't have any expansion or recovery for it. So you've got to really be thoughtful and understand the client's marketplace and you know everything about them as well as about your own business um, I think it is a very handy thing for entrepreneurs to be con uh, to, to be uh, evergreen con continue to learn in the process don't earn money and then put the money uh, in a different aspect of your life, reinvest in the business if you're looking to be multi-generational. If you're looking to sell, you may want to do exactly the opposite. So it still goes back from a financial perspective of understanding why you're in business. I think that it's important to make sure that you live in gratitude. Um, you know, mom taught us that when things were really rough or if you have uh, sadnesses occur in your life, and life happens to people, dynamically it happens. Uh, I think that you make life happen for you when you live in gratitude. Mom taught us to say thank you when we were going through rough times. And when we were very young, we would say it, you know, with an edge. Oh, yeah, right, Mom. Thank you. Thank you, God, for making this so hard. Thank you, life, for making me fail this, you know. And she said, no, you've really got to live in gratitude. So many people want the opportunity, the expertise, the intelligence, the friendship, the network that you have. You know, so remember to be grateful for those things you have. And entrepreneurially speaking, oftentimes we can get into a funk when things aren't going our way or when we aren't getting the results we set out to achieve, especially if when we timeline things. And so it's really important to understand the value of living in gratitude. I think it's important to honor your network. Never ask of another person what you would not be prepared to do for yourself. You are always going to hire people and work with people who are smarter than you about certain things. I pray your entrepreneurs are doing that. 
uh, you've, you've got to make sure that you honor them for who they are in that process. Uh, in my company, we say together we win. And we really live that. We mean that. All of our principles and our operating factors exist around the idea that together we win. People are actually paid on how well the team does. So uh, that's a personal culture choice. But I do think the overruling uh, factor is that we have to honor people who are a part of our success. Otherwise, we can quickly have them become apart from it. So, so beautiful. Uh, Tony Robbins always says that life is not happening to you, but for you. And it, it's so true. A lot of people, you know, they, 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 uh, they think that something happens to them and, and they ask, why me? But sometimes it's because of you. you know, and, and, and what doesn't, you know, it's a cliche, but what doesn't uh, hurt you uh, makes you stronger. Yeah, and you know, um, years ago I laughed because my husband, who's British-born, has a very dry sense of humor, and I remember having a conversation with him, and he said something that was so funny to me, and it stuck with me all these years. Uh, I was, he asked me, why are you frowning? And I said, oh, I'm just so worried about, and I mentioned the client situation, and he said, well, my dear, I will give you a tip, and if you find it worthy, I'd like you to pay me its value. I said, what's your tip, Bernie? My husband's name is Bernie. He said, the day that worrying ever pays off, let me know. He said, I tried it for years, and I never find worrying to pay much dividend. What What I do think works is to step back. You study the situation and then, you know, I, I, you have to regroup yourself. But I, I, I laugh because Bernie was right. Worrying does not pay dividends, yet so many people invest. Yeah, yes. John F. Kennedy actually said that. He said, I worried about a lot of problems that never happened. Yes. And, uh, well, John F. Kennedy had a beautiful ability like Bill Clinton to uh, compartmentalize. And while that's often spoken of in a negative way, there's great value in being able to compartmentalize if you're an entrepreneur. And if you're an early entrepreneur, you need to follow the same rules you want your employees to follow. You know, I encourage my folks, be your authentic self. But you don't have to bring it all to work. You can leave a little bit of it home, you know? If, if, if something's going on that's really not going to benefit the team, and if the team can't help you with it in a quick and dynamic way, leave it home. Enjoy the process of not having to have it over you, you know? Don't worry during the daytime about it. Very true. Janice, another question, uh, and I think this is mostly for uh, our female listeners. And you as a, as, a, as a female entrepreneur and a very successful uh, uh, woman, um, how do you, like, what, what would be your advice for a, for a female entrepreneur or businesswoman or, or, or high achiever that is now starting her career or is in the middle of her career? What, what, what are like three things that you tell her, look, focus on that? Noah, let me tell you something. 
the advice I would give to a woman is the advice I would give to a man. I am not gender discriminating here. I do recognize that as women, we live in a world that discriminates against us. And depending on where we live in the world, that can be harsher in some places than in others. So I do think that for women, it's really important for us to, I, I'll tell you what my personal mantra is. And it is really one that I define for myself as the woman early in building my company. And that is never compromise who you are personally to become who you wish to be professionally. And, you know, early on, uh, especially since I grew my business in uh, LA, Hollywood area, a lot of women were asked to compromise themselves, whether that was spiritually, sexually, financially, uh, in order to uh, have careers. And my mom had raised us in a way where she told us, when you lay your head down at night, you've really got to feel good about who you are or else you'll never feel good about where you are. And so for me, I just live by the mantra of never compromise who you are personally to become who you wish to be professionally. By the way, some of those same discriminatory practices that happened in Hollywood against women, and we've seen it with the Me Too movement and uh, the, uh, the pink hats that women wear. We've seen it with the uh, marches that women have had. They're highly reminiscent for me of the civil rights marches that we had. Uh, we're in an iterative process when it comes to equality. And while there may be the argument of whether we're all born with the equal ability, we should all be born with the equal opportunity. And so for me, in a world where we're working, make sure that you remember to help someone else. Your success is dynamic to you and your family. How you empower others to be successful is going to be a large measure of how you imprint the world. And I do believe that when you give, it comes back to you. So never compromise who you are personally to become who you wish to be professionally. And make sure you remember to lift others up. Be reminiscent of your journey. Don't forget the things that harmed you. Make sure that you highlight them so that you can erase those factors in how you behave yourself. It's not always men who are discriminating against women. So make sure that you honor the men who support what you do as well. Janice, how do you think the, I'd love to ask you, how do you think the, the, the working world, the, the professional world is going in terms of um, creating equal opportunities for people. Uh, I know there's, it seems like, like, you know, we get some movement and then there's a pushback and then we get some movement and another pushback. And it seems like, you know, we'll do one step forward and three steps back. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, because um, I have the white male perspective and a white male brain and a white male upbringing. And I see the world from that perspective and, and tell me what that looks like Chris <laughs> tell me what that looks for, like well from my perspective and I and I think I have a, a bit a little bit different because I do travel the world quite a bit and I work with a lot of amazing women and and people of all different races I think I think um that it it, it I think that we're growing as humanity and I think, uh, you know, globalization is really helping us grow and become more aware of um, how we've held pa people back in the past. And so I think that it's a, you know, change takes, like you mentioned, Martin Luther King, change takes so long to happen sometimes that it can be really frustrating. 
And so, um, I think we're, we're, we're definitely going in the right direction and growing, but sometimes it's just like frustrating because you see like, you know, you see things that happen. You mentioned Hollywood, you know, all the things that are coming up with against, uh, sexual abuse and, and, uh, things that people, high profile people do in Hollywood against women to try and, uh, that are just trying to make their careers. And so you have an interesting perspective because you grew up in the South. Um, you're a su- very successful entrepreneur, African-American, but also know the Hollywood scene. I'm curious kind of uh, how you feel about the situation. Well, let me tell you, I did get a double whammy being black and female, and it was very late in my <laughs> career, much later than I'm proud of, that um, – I forgave myself for being black, female, and smart at the same time. Uh, That's been a long journey for me, and I'm sure it's a long journey for many women in different ways. What I will say is that we're talking about two things here when we talk about discrimination. We're talking about discrimination along uh, legacy gender paths, and then we're also talking about the type of discrimination that occurs Uh, to people who are not biologically gender-defining themselves. Their biological birth uh, attributes don't define their gender for them. And so we're in a very exciting world. We're also in a world where people are not as clued in if they're not taking an active position in learning how people are feeling and what people are doing. I will tell you that for me, My uh, work was a lot more difficult as a woman and as an African-American business owner uh, before I started to invest in technology and build technological support systems that clients couldn't do without. I uh, I defined in my business outcomes that made me highly competitive in a way that overruled the ability to judge me on my gender and my ethnicity. And so while that shouldn't be the path people have to take, uh, I remember growing up, guys, and uh, mom used to tell us, you're going to, look, understand this, there are going to be some places in life where you're going to have to do twice as much to get half as far. And I think there are a lot of people who, whether it is gender ascribed or ethnically ascribed, really, or culturally ascribed, really understand that to the deepest, to the core meaning of it. There are going to be times when you're just going to have to be twice as good to get half as far. And I think the thing that I keep um, repeating thematically, I'm encouraging my executives, make sure we are not the violators of those things that felt so violent to us, you know, make sure that we change how we work and how we do. Now, people and human beings, as far back as I can read or understand from, uh, you know, from history, have always had areas of discrimination. We run in tribes. We are very tribal as human beings. We enjoy clans. Now, that's a particularly sensitive word for me coming from the South, because if you put two more Ks in front of it, I'm not feeling that great. (laughs) (laughs) But we do, as human beings, often enjoy being parts of tribes and parts of clans. And one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of my millennial and next-gen friends are ascribing their clan to be those people who have more in common with their set of interests than necessarily their set of 
sexual attributes or their financial attributes. They find an area of interest and technology supports them in ways that we didn't have growing up. And whether you like it or not, uh, whether you think it's at a progressive or you think it actually degresses their ability to be, uh, to be social, they, they do define their communities quite differently than we defined communities when I was growing up. So I remain optimistic. I mean, I'm not a Pollyanna, but I'm <laughs> highly uh, hopeful and, uh, and positive about the world. And again, I just say, if you, if, if you look back through as much history as you have documentation to or suggestion from the scientists and the historians, we've always been a clannish uh, 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 animal as humans. And so we have to define within the generations we live how we seek to engage equity in opportunity for those around us. I tend to look at the world as my home. I have a citizenship in the United States, but I tend to look at the world as my home. And when I open up that globe a little bit more about its possibility to me, I find that I am far better rewarded than when I centralize myself back to just being a Southern dweller. Very well put. I think a lot of uh, uh, our listeners would would love to to ask you for hours questions and and usually like through books people can pick uh, uh, someone's brain that knows a lot about a small area. Um, what what kind of books that that shaped your life or that inspired you to to become the person that you are today? Except uh, obviously the the Bible and 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 other uh, books that helped you. Right. And, and, and you're right to say the Bible, because that was the that was the thing that we all had to read every night when I was growing up. And my mom and dad took a very different approach because they uh, they taught us Bible lessons that uh, were very inclusive of other people, not exclusive of people. As Christians, we weren't people who isolated ourselves from others. We were people who saw the potential and possibility to dwell together with uh, the Ten Commandments being the core to us. And as I studied other religions, I think the Ten Commandments are actually quite transferable uh, uh, across different faiths. You know, it's interesting. I'll share my books, but it's interesting. One point I want to make to you. Years ago, I, I, I get uh, spiritually uh, supported uh, more by music these days because, you know, it's just really easier for me to throw a headset on and listen to music on a four or five hour flight uh, than to read with a light and disturb the passenger beside me. And one of the uh, albums, you remember albums? Are you guys old enough to know what an album is? Or Vinyl's <laughs> coming back though, isn't it? Anyway, um, I first heard this uh, by Andre Crouch years ago, and it was on an album called Take Me Back. And um, in the beginning of the, uh, uh, of the music, Andre talks. He's a preacher as well. And Andre talks, and I'll power quote him, but he said, uh, you know, so many people are getting confused around faith and religion. He said, and it's really quite simple. Uh, He said, faith is your relationship with God. Religion 
is your search for God. It's the way you try to find God, but faith is the relationship. And he said he learned early on that it was a lot better for him to get along with people when he understood how they were faithful than when he discriminated against them from how they were religious. And that's the type of teaching my parents brought us up with. So the Bible was a good platform for us for study because it was always a way for us to look at how to reach out and learn more and be neighbors than it was how to isolate us ourselves as the chosen few. Now, I will tell you that um, other books that I have been inspired by have been uh, very simple little books. I, I have actually put on YouTube one of them I love so much, which is The Strangest Secret. And I rewrote As a Man Thinketh into As a Person Thinketh, mm -hmm. uh, which has been very helpful to me. Um, and I continue to read biographies. I particularly like biographies sometimes over autobiographies. I find that sometimes when someone else writes about you, they tend to do a little bit more homework and put it in a little more clear vision. But autobiographies serve a great purpose for me as well because they allow me to actually understand how someone who I even have an interest in reading about may see themselves and therein help me to shape how I really see me. Um, I have over, I think I have over 6,200 books in my libraries across my homes. Wow. Uh, the larger library being two floors deep in my California home. And although I do most of my reading by iPad these days, Kindle, I do, uh, when I enjoy a book particularly much, will buy it in its uh, hardback form. Not that I want to kill trees or anything, guys, but out of homage to the author, I go ahead and pay the larger price for the book. And I love the smell of books. You know, when I grew up in uh, Tarboro, North Carolina, we didn't have a library on my side of town. So we had to walk across Vanola Street, which was the dividing line between white and black communities. We were a segregated community, I think I mentioned to you earlier. Yeah. And I would have to go over to the white side to go to the library. And I loved the library. And very often, my brothers would have to escort me home for safety reasons. <laughs> and they would be pushing me to get my nose out of that book and get home and they'd be loaded with books and we had a really nice librarian for a year I remember and I hated it when she left because she would let me check out as many books as I liked and I think they had a limit that you could only check out four books and she would let me check out as many as I liked and I'd go home and read books under my cover with flashlights and took me to so many places in the world that much later when I grew up and I visited those places independently or with my husband or family, they felt better familiar to me. And I think that was, um, that was the gift of my mom who encouraged us to read and spent whatever extra money she had to ensure that we had encyclopedias and books in the home. I know how you feel, Janice. I used to walk the halls of uh, the library at our university campus and just think, I wish I could learn by osmosis because there's so much amazing information in all these books, and I just want to soak it up as rapidly as possible. Um, hey, Chris, you know what I do sometimes? What? And I have some beautiful, I have some beautiful leather-bound books as well. And I had a friend ask me, 
uh, oh, you, you're one of those people who really reads those things. I thought they were just to dress up libraries, right? Dress up homes. <laughs> and I said, no, I do. But then she cringed when she saw me writing and highlighting in the book. And she was like, you're actually doing that in that book? Yes. And I said, yes. And the reason, you know, when I was in school early on, um, I never got books with all the pages in it over in the black side of the town because white folks got the books first. And then when they were, they would, they would measure them new, good, or fair condition. Once they got to fair condition, that meant a few of the pages may be torn or, you know, that kind of thing. And they'd send them over to the black school. And so we'd have to figure out what was on those pages uh, that were missing in order to be able to get a complete lesson. So one of the things that I did notice in some of those books, though, is that uh, the kids would have underlined certain important uh, uh, sections or highlighted or scored in them. And um, I got a feeling for who they were. The people, like, this really mattered to them when they read this. Or this looks like they were just reading for the big information they weren't really reading deep into it and so my books become my friends and when I write in them or I highlight in them it's my way of talking back to the author or my way of sharing with the characters in the books and so I am one of those people who write in my books but I am also a person who will buy them yeah me too I love I love I love highlighting and and etching and and notching a page so I know where to go back if I ever flip through the book. Janice, um, we know you have to get out of here in a few minutes, so I have one more question. We're doing a series of 100 podcast interviews with 100 major influencers, so people that have built up a significant amount of success, whether through entrepreneurship or their field or sports or whatever it may be, um, and gained a massive amount of influence. And we see people out there these days that use this influence um, irresponsibly and people that use it very in a very classy way and very responsibly. Um, I'm curious, as uh, the first African-American female to run a billion-dollar company and having to this- found it, a To found a billion-dollar company. found, excuse me. Yes, 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 yes. Um, what would you say, uh, I, I love your philosophy on influence and how to handle it responsibly in the world today. Well, I do think that you, number one, I tell people when they're looking for influencers to look to those people who are living the life you truly want to live, not just elements of it. If you would become an influencer, I think the best thing you can do is to read Rudyard Kipling's poem, If. You'll recall that it is, um, are you familiar with it? I am, I am. Are you Noah? You can go online and you can pull it up, you know, yes. and it's got some of the best advice about how to be the right influencer, I think, in life. Yeah. Um, have, 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 you ever, have you ever really read it out loud to yourself? Multiple times, yes, yes. I, I love it. And, 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 and I go around to my offices and I have my employees make sure that they pull it up and they read it. And it's, 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 um, it's, it's just really, it's really important. And it starts out, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all doubt you and make allowances for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies 
or being hated. Don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good nor talk too wise. I mean, I love that poem. I'd love to like do the whole thing with you here. I don't think that that would be fair to your audience, but I would love to just share with you what it says when it gets near the end. It says, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, and if all count with you, but not too much, not, I mean, that's powerful, isn't it? Yes. If you can feel the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, then yours is the earth and everything in it. And it finishes very gender specific and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. But I do think that um, that poem is one that I want to make gender appreciative as well. It was written in a very male sense. And so in and of itself, it's the second lef uh, lesson in influence. You should never be surprised by who you can be, uh, who you will influence. There are as many men, young men who come up to me and say they've been influenced by me as there are young women. And so I just think that the poem, If, is one that stayed with me uh, throughout my growing up. And I chose to make it non-gender specific, to make it very inclusive. And it works very well for me when I think about my role and how I would influence people, is to live by those words. Beautiful, beautiful. Janice, we know you have to go. Um, how can the listeners support you, reach out to you, learn more about what you have going on? Where could they go to, to find that information? Well, I know you'll be sharing my social media contacts with them. Yeah. I love Instagram, so I do want them to follow me at J. Bryant Halroyd. They can also go to Ask JBH if they want to be in communication and have questions or, or, or just share what's going on in their lives. I think it'll be really great if they do that. I would really like that. And on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. Janice, we have Make sure to... they follow me on Facebook, okay? We'll, we'll get all the links there for you. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, Janice, we want to give you a huge thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your tips and your tricks and all your wisdom with us. We didn't even get to business talk because we had so much great philosophy coming from you, which I really enjoyed. So just thank you so much. Thank well, you, you know what, guys? Thank you. You feel like family. This was great. Thank you. Yes, you too. Thank you very much. Let's talk again. Let's talk again. If you need anything, feel free to reach out. We're going to wrap it up there. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in once again. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.